poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Duncan Palamortis and Peter Birmingham. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. Uh, this is your host, Duncan Palamordas. And uh, today, actually, uh, Peter um, is not with us. He had he had an emergency, but I'm incredibly, incredibly excited to welcome to the show Martin Harris. And I want to give a brief introduction to, to Martin for those of you who are unfamiliar with his amazing work. So Martin Harris is an author and fellow academic who writes about popular culture, literature, horror film, and poker. An English PhD, he teaches in the American Studies program at UNC Charlotte, where his courses include Poker in American Film and Culture and Tricky Dick Richard Nixon, Poker and Politics. He has written four books, including a couple of self-published novels, uh, the most recent ones are Poker and Pop Culture, which we're going to talk a, a bit today, telling the story of America's favorite card game, a history of poker in America that focuses particularly on the game's representation in film, music, TV, and more. And the other book is Leatherface versus Tricky Dick, The Chainsaw Massacre as Political Satire, a minute-by-minute -minute analysis exploring the 1974 film's political commentary, in particular, its satire of Richard Nixon and the Watergate scandal. He's also written two novels, Obsessica and Same Difference, and currently he's working on a new book about horror and science fiction film that analyzes a number of films from the 1950s to the present, including but not limited to Night of the Living Dead, They Live, Get Out, one of my favorites, and others. I have personally collaborated with Martin in writing articles for Poker News and Poker Stars. I can attest to his unparalleled professionalism and deep knowledge of his craft. So I'm super excited to welcome Martin today to the show. Martin, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much, Duncan. Really glad to be here. Really glad to talk about anything that anybody wants to talk about. So this will be uh, fun. Absolutely. And we have so many questions. Actually, we have so many questions from the villagers that I didn't have much room to ask, you know, my own questions. And I had a lot. So I'm going to I'm going to start it off very, very, very simple. You know, since we're talking about culture and you've been working a lot on culture, what are some things that you think people typically get wrong about the culture of poker? And what would you say that the things that people typically get right? That's a great question. Um, this book that I wrote, which actually was the product of a whole bunch of columns and years and years of writing about poker and pop culture, was inspired by a number of things having to do with poker and what made poker such a fun activity for me and something that was interesting to me. but Primarily, the connection between poker and American history and American culture and how the game had this kind of chronological coincidence. Uh, the game emerged at the beginning of the 19th century, so it developed right alongside the United States, and the history kind of you know ran alongside of one another. 
but also all of these connections between how the game kind of represented American culture and American values and and so forth. And so I, I you know, in the book and, and all these uh, writings that I've I've done, I, I explore those connections. How poker is such an American game, uh, and it really represents American culture. And so, yeah, I have all these sort of ideas about that. Um, and I think that for a lot of people, I think for poker people, I'll say this: people who are players and really immersed in the game and the community. Um, and it, they might agree with this idea that yes, poker it represents America in all these ways, you know, individualism and liberty and independence and all these great things that the game sort of encourages in players. Um, they'll agree with all that, but maybe don't necessarily uh, think about the fact that America isn't, you know, there are all these ideals and values, but there's problems too. Sure. Um, and that the game maybe represents both the good and the bad of America. I'll just put it in the most general terms that, you know, there are things about, and I think anybody who's played the game seriously and really gotten involved with it and got involved with the community, um, they've experienced lots of good things, but bad things too. And really, I mean, you know, it, it, it makes sense that the game would, uh, it attracts all sorts of different individuals who get together and interact and compete with each other, but also form sort of this community and friendships and socialize um, that you get a lot of the good, but then there's the bad too that's associated with with any activity, but especially one that has to do with gambling. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I can't win unless you lose. And so Absolutely. we're going to, you know, we're going to necessarily sort of be butting heads in that way. Um, and then maybe other bad things that can can come out of you know that kind of interaction with with others. Um, so that would be, I guess, maybe one thing that maybe people get wrong about poker. People maybe get wrong about the game that, in fact, it's not all great the way it represents America. That it represents the good and the bad. Um, but then also, I guess maybe I'll sort of say the same thing, uh, the other side of the same observation, that people who don't play poker, who aren't in the community, um, they don't recognize the good in the game. You know, they don't necessarily uh, appreciate uh, all the good things that come out of poker and, and, you know, the communities that can be built from the game, um, all the things that we learn, as you've taught in your classes, um, you know, the the analytical ability that we we get to develop as we study and learn the game and and other, you know, good good things that have to do with with poker. So that's a pretty I, that's kind of an abstract answer, I think. No, but, I like it. I like it. And uh, and I would add to that also, you know, we talk about that in a podcast a lot, the idea that you can build flow. You know, if you ever want to practice flow, playing poker can be incredibly helpful. You know, the idea of like being in the zone sometimes, as people are saying. Um, oh, yeah. Just for the listener, uh, what would you, if you were to be choosing a representative example uh, of a good and a bad, you already alluded to that in, in, in your analysis, but if you were to pick a representative sort of like hands-on example of something good about poker, uh, fundamentally good and important, and something fundamentally bad and important as it relates to the American culture, what would you choose? Well, I think that I, I I think that sometimes poker gets idealized a little bit for being uh, this, and I write about this in the book. Um, this idea that it's an egalitarian game that it, mm. it represents 
um, th- this is a an ideal in America mm. that a lot of us believe in and strive for. And when we think of the country, we think of uh, the fact that you know everyone has an equal chance, um, equal rights for all, and and so on. And people sometimes talk about poker in these terms as a game where anybody can play. You know, you can come from any background, you know, all different, you know, people, men, women, different races, different ages, different, you know, everything can come together. And we've, you know, those of us who played a lot of poker, we've experienced this where we've gotten together with people from, you know, everywhere. And it kind of is. And and sometimes it really does sort of meet that ideal. And it feels that way. I always throw in the qualification that um not everyone can actually play that the egalitarian ideal um you have to have money to sit at the table Good and point. so there's always that element okay. involved and even even those of us who are sitting at the table you know our our financial situations are different and when i'm sitting there with my $100 and you're sitting there with your $100 it may mean something different to us you know to each of us and so that kind of you know the egalitarian quality of the game kind of breaks down a little bit because of that. Um, But I think it does, you know, I think that's a, I I mean, I'll stand behind that. That's a good thing about the game um, that represents America, you know, at its best when we find that sort of thing happening in other contexts um, and people being able to work together and, you know, support each other and build communities and and that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, And on the other side of the spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, the the game uh, can be, uh, you know, it is a gambling game. It's a game that involves a lot of skill, but that luck, but luck matters. And you can't really deny that. Um, But it can also uh, uh, fool player, you know, this, how um, it's so easy to not be able to determine how much luck and how much skill was really ha- involved and when we played that hand of poker or, or in that last session um it's a real challenging thing and so it fools people sometimes into thinking incorrectly about their own skill level um and how much luck actually affected uh you know their their circumstances um i think that reflects american culture too that you know the society is built in this way where we uh, are, uh, you know, many of us have a lot of freedoms in the way that we can pursue our happiness uh, and also our, you know, our careers and, you know, building families and all these things. Um, and a lot of us are able to use our skills um, to uh, better ourselves. Um, and I think that uh, sometimes we're also not necessarily uh cognizant of how much luck each of us experiences in life (laughs) i mean you know we're born into certain situations that may be favorable or unfavorable and then of course there's all those you know forks in the road as we live our lives um, where luck really changed things and maybe we don't appreciate it and just like in a poker hand you know we win that poker hand or we get the the job that we want or or whatever and we we think yeah i'm i'm good you know i deserve that <laughs> and we don't appreciate the luck that was involved in that and i'm you know i'm saying all these are sort of a, it's an american phenomenon but it it obviously goes beyond this for US, sure but 
And this is actually an incredible point, um, the idea that uh, luck can be underestimated as part of, of our culture. And you often see people who are perceived as successful to be approached by other people for advice. And then one of the things that they will say, people like Warren Buffett comes to mind, how lucky they've mm -hmm. been, you know, I mean, Warren Buffett in particular will say things like, you know, I'm lucky I was born a male. I like it. I'm lucky I was born in a family of loving parents, you know, in a situation yeah. where I had access to libraries and all of these things. I'm lucky I was born an American and, and so on and so forth. And you're absolutely right that there is this element of um, a cultural element, I should say, of we are, have more control of our surroundings, of our situation that perhaps we actually mm -hmm. do have control of. Right? And it's and the idea of the American dream, right? I mean, it's up to us to to live the American dream, but maybe there is, and not maybe, I mean, almost certain there is a certain amount of luck element to it that we cannot underestimate it. Absolutely. And that goes back to that, you know, the idea of the game being an egalitarian game and, right. and that we all have an equal shot. Well, well, maybe, you know, you know, that's not really true if you really drill down and look at each of our circumstances that the there's a great divide. We come to the table with different size stacks and there's all kinds of things that, that right. affect our, our outcomes. So, so, so maybe we can sort of like some, like, this is beautiful because like your two points of good and bad, perhaps they can be summarized in the same, in the same sentence, you know, we all have the same chance or do we, <laughs> we sort of like, it is an egalitarian situation, but is it you know but yes it is but maybe it isn't yes it is like it's like this constant back and forth between you know the the good and the bad this is actually very beautifully put um the this these two sides of the coin yes this is incredible i'm i'm, I'm loving this already and and I, I have like so many so many questions for you but like most of them are coming from the audience and the listener or the listeners over at the village and i want to make sure that we cover them all, all. um one more thing I wanted to ask, because I've always been curious about that, uh, and this is, again, my question, but how do you think, in general, are poker players perceived by the public? Because poker players tend to have an opinion of how that happens, but it can be a little bit distorted because we're so into that thing. But what is your view? Like, you know, how are poker players in general perceived by the public, would you say? I think that actually in the book, this is something... Uh, hopefully that comes across that I kind of explore over a historical, you know, a long, you know, story, especially in the 20th and into the 21st century, where I look at how mainstream popular culture, films and literature and music and television shows and magazines and all these sort of mainstream um versions of poker or mainstream treatments of the game reflect opinions about poker and about poker players. And to me, that was kind of, as I wrote the book, I mean, I knew this already, but I was able to find all of these examples of negative opinions about poker, about, you know, associations of poker with gambling and violence and, you know, all of these things going back to the Old West and, you know, and in, then in stories about the Old West and then in the 20th century and, you know, gangsters and outlaws. Poker is a, is a game played by criminals. Um, and, in, you know, in, in history, that's technically true a lot of the time because 
the game wasn't legal where it was being played, but um, in any case, um, these negative associations, I think, were kind of, you know, really grounded into the game and became part of the game's legacy. Um, so as it was first invented and developed, and as we get into the 20th century and people start playing it, that these opinions about poker and poker players um, that aren't favorable opinions um, remain. Mm-hmm. And you have all of this. And if you, you know, you go back and you you read about, like you learn about the, the early days of the World Series of Poker. Right. Um, and you hear these stories, you know, read stories like Doyle Brunson at the final table of the 1972 World Series of Poker. And it gets down to three players and he's not sure he really wants to to win the tournament and sort of come out of this as, you know, the the poker champion. Right. And so they, you know, they cut a deal. And so, you know, that it, it isn't really, you have all kinds of examples of stories like that where um, uh, people, as we move into the later 20th century, um, are, are encountering that prejudice against poker players mm-hmm. and, and associations of it with gambling and, you know, moral objections to, to poker, which inform a lot of the um, criticisms and then also laws that prohibit it and prescribe where poker can be played and, you know, which continue to have their, their effect. Um, jumping to today, which I think your question was really more about, um, I think that um, that the poker boom and televised poker sort of helping bring it to a mainstream audience in a way that seemed more acceptable um, for a while, <laughs> um, help change things, soften opinions somewhat. And I think, um, you know, what you, I don't know what your experience has been, but, you know, you tell people, I, I, I'm, you know, when I'm introducing myself or, or someone's introducing me and I'm, I'm the poker guy, you know, uh, I find people are very receptive right. and interested and find it intriguing um, and want to hear about sort of poke, you know, what is it like, you know, going to poker tournaments and, and being around poke, you know, uh, and that there's not really this negative association with right. it. Uh, at least I haven't experienced it, but I know that it still exists and that there's still, um, you know, a lot of mixed opinions about poker um, for a variety of reasons. Absolutely. And and it sounds like, uh, to me at least, it sounds like you're making a very interesting point here. You're talking about these historical negative connotations, which are actually grounded to truth, uh, criminal activities, gambling, mm-hmm. all of these related things, which actually propagated into our present as like some so- form of like forceful inertia of sorts, right? You know, so they, you know, they, and people were like, you know, and we had to sort of like prove the onus was on the poker players to show that, hey, we're not the criminals of, you know, the previous centuries, or we're not like the the gamblers you may have seen in, in, in the movies. And actually, that's that's a very good point, because there's all of these taboo associated and, um, with, with the game, and it has its roots in historical reasons. So uh, history... I, I should talk... I should toss in also the the cheating aspect. Oh, that's right. And how important that is to the history of poker. Um and was a big part of the game during its early history and continues to come up here and there uh, in poker and and people that's another thing along with violence and you know uh ga- you know moral objections to gambling right. associations with 
uh, you know, sinful behaviors, drinking and smoking and, and <laughs> cheating. And, and, you know, all these games in the movies where, you know, there's always cheating and then it ends in a gunfight or a brawl or something. You know, these aren't uh, good advertisements for poker. These aren't things that make the game. Um, it might make for a great movie, but it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, make the game seem more palatable to a certain segment of people. Absolutely, absolutely. But at the same time, you made the point that, you know, some things have changed. So, um, again, with the uh, evolution of the the poker shows and, uh, you know, the change that happened in society, people may be intrigued, you know, maybe willing to hear more about, you know, like I said, the poker guy, what is it that this poker guy is doing? You know, maybe it's it's interesting. We live in it. You know, in, in an era where, where people are doing all sorts of crazy things. Some people have careers by making videos on the internet, you know, mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that. So it's a very exciting, exciting time to be to be alive. Um now speaking of, of film, right? I mean and, and television, um the now uh, Humberto Jimenez, who's actually been in the podcast before. He wants to know specifically for you, Martin, if you if you were to be put in a horror movie to survive, which <laughs> one which one would you choose? Because I told them that yeah, you know, horror is the the, the thing that you're interested in. <laughs> so I'd willingly go into one of these worlds, these horrifying worlds. That's right. And uh, well, I think the, the actually the answer is kind of easy. Okay. Um, and I've got a real soft spot for the uh, zombie movies of George Romero. Okay. And in this book that I'm writing, I have a chapter on Night of the Living Dead. That wouldn't necessarily be the most fun movie to jump into because you'd be trapped in a house with these other people. And But Dawn of the Dead, the sequel. Right. And I think that's one of the great appeals of, of that movie from 1978. Um, that the... if, if if you've seen it or, or those who have seen it, they know that the, the yeah. movie largely takes place in a shopping mall where these four characters are able to fortify themselves and enjoy the spoils of free everything. Right. Um, and I think it's one of the things that makes the movie that makes people like the movie a lot because it becomes momentarily while they're able to sort of hold the zombies off and um, they get to experience this kind of utopia in the middle of the movie. And so if I'm going to jump into, to, to answer the question, I'll, I'll jump into that movie and I'll try to do my best um, not to mess things up at the end like they do uh, in the film. <laughs> <laughs> try to, to change the... Yeah. Um, and, and, and something related to, 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 to horror in particular, because it's it's a very interesting concept and Larry Larry W who's also at the village he he made a very astute observation which reminded me of something he made the observation that uh, some poker sessions are not like a horror film in some sense right i mean you like if you, if you play poker long enough and you actually don't have to play that long enough uh, you can experience you know that uh, uh, situation um and Billy DGAF from Hustler Casino Life he calls it the abyss you know, where basically everything goes wrong. And the moment you think you hit wrong bottom, something worse is going to happen. People are going to start hitting one-outers on you and, and, and things like that, which is, you know, related to the same feeling of dread that sometimes we experience when we watch horror films. And I wanted to ask you about this because there is something 
interesting. First of all, do you see any relations, any relation between, you know, the actual horror films and and a horrific poker session? Yeah, that's a that's really an interesting observation. And, and it makes me think I'll I'll try to say this quickly, but I've got two sort of ideas about that where oh, please. That's what I, we're here I think for. that's absolutely that's absolutely correct. Um that the um the experiences and even the appeal in a strange way of horror films and um the test, the psychological test that we the challenge that we give ourselves when we sit down at a poker table and we play with different against difficult opponents and we try to, you know, manage this this situation. We willingly enter this dangerous, right. you know, dangerous situation. Right. Um, that there's a lot of affinity there. Um and I think you're right, the kind of, you know, the the swings and the scares and the, you know, we talk about scare cards, you know, coming right. in. The, the, there's there's all kinds of connections, I think, there. And so that's just generally a really neat observation, I think. Um, and I definitely think there's overlap there. The other thing it makes me think of when I think of how poker and horror films uh, connect, I think of these horror films that... Um, are essentially following the the pattern of the uh, Agatha Christie and then there were none mm -hmm. novel, mm -hmm. um, like the slasher films where you start with a cast of characters that gradually get knocked off one by one and then you're down to the to the to the finale with the the, the killer and the, the final <laughs> perpetrators. Right. Yeah, and and you know these poker tournaments, you know, essentially are are like that, like a battle royale kind of where where you know. <laughs> We're we're knocking each other off one by one, and uh, we we get down to the end, and only one is able to survive. But just the kind of uh, the narrative structure, I guess, there's a similarity there um, with tournaments and and poker. But I I like the the more general observation about the psychological the terrors that we put through put ourselves through when we play poker and when we watch a horror movie. Why would you say people are attracted to that element? And, and if people are attracted to things like horror films, for example, and we sort of like believe that there's a connection between horror films and horrific poker sessions, um, what do you think makes people, and do you think there's something that makes people in a twisted kind of way excited about seeing somebody being completely demolished at the poker table and 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 the way i'm yeah. i am I mentioned at least that it, wasn't me <laughs> yeah. oh at least that wasn't me that's interesting yeah that's interesting that's interesting yeah. um and the reason why i'm asking this question is because uh will jaffe who was uh on only friends po podcast he, he mentioned that that very idea i believe it was a few days ago he was saying that uh, Brad Owen, another very famous vlogger, has been running really, really bad, and he was admitting on camera that there is a not an element of um, of guilty pleasure to see somebody completely, you know, destroying themselves at the poker table. And I couldn't help myself but make the connection with the horror films. And I, I thought to myself, I definitely need to ask Martin that question. You know, what is what's going on there? Is that an illusion? Is there something? Like you said, at, at least it wasn't me. Is that what's going on there? I, yeah, that's that's fascinating as well. I mean, they there's lots of theories about you know why people watch horror films, why people subject themselves to these things, and some talk about you know the idea of catharsis and you know being able to kind of vicariously experience 
bad things happening um, and while you're safe yourself mm. um, or maybe to sort of, uh, you know, there's other sort of ideas about people, you know, having deep rooted, you know, uh, bad ideas um, about bad things and being able to, again, sort of vicariously experience it or something, you know, in a safe way. Um, and I think there's there's definitely something there. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's an interesting comparison with watching someone, you know, failing at the poker table or, you know, that kind of um, where, again, we're safe as we watch, you know, the poor, you know, player on, on the stream uh, getting crushed. Um, and there's something there. I, I know what I know what's being described there, that kind of weird pleasure guilty pleasure right. i'll say right. guilty um, um but it's a pleasure you know there's something uh there's something there that that's intriguing um for me one of the things uh, i talk about what makes horror films interesting to me is how they're constructed and how they are built to produce a response in an audience and so the aesthetic kind of you know questions about you know how the music and the editing and the shots and all these things um add up to produce these responses uh, to me that's kind of fascinating too um and i guess that probably is true in the as we're watching the stream and because we're seeing these poker hands and we know maybe we've gotten to know the character we've gotten to know the player right um and his tendencies or or her tendencies and, and or you know and we become invested in a certain way and then we watch a hand play out and that too there's a there's always kind of an aesthetic you know the narrative of a hand and you know how you know this you know the the, the great starting hand that turns into something a lot smaller after the flop and then turns into something really difficult and and awful on the river especially when the opponent check raises all in and you're sitting there, you know, can I possibly call? And, and um, the, so as we watched all of that, we sort of saw how it was put together and there's not a director or a screenwriter or anything. It's just sort of happened, but um, there's also that kind of, um, you know, that uh, there's a pleasure there too. I think as we see sort of step-by-step step, this horrible thing happen and, <laughs> in and, and front of us the story unfolding too right i mean you know the in, yeah. in front of our eyes and in yeah that, that's actually that, that that's actually very interesting do you do you think that's the reason why uh, people uh, may be drawn to um personalities which can be extreme and uh, uh, even personalities that uh, can be very divisive and people have like strong opinions about it you think that might be the reason why we all know these personalities right i mean which can be you know uh, yes. very very vocal very rude sometimes uh and uh, do you think that might be a reason why people are drawn to these people in general yeah i mean they they used, they talked about that all the time when poker was exploding on tv right and uh, they talked about all these characters and that that was such an important part of the the game and it was what drew the audiences and i think that's probably true and a lot of times that was all uh, there was a director uh, and there was an editor right. <laughs> who helped kind of make that happen and create these characters um but yeah i think that's uh i mean you know we we 
uh, again, we're, uh, I, I think those characters are, are fascinating. And if we're already interested in the game, um, they bring something to it that affects our experience watching. Um, and sometimes it's, it, it's, it makes the story even more engrossing and mm. immer- immersive for us uh, as we're watching, even, even while we're maybe repelled by these, <laughs> you know, some of the behaviors or some of the, the even the, the, just the characters, uh, the people, uh, we don't like them, but we want to see what they're going to do next. And so. Right. It's, it's, it's um, the irony of human emotion, right? Sometimes it's better to feel something than to feel nothing at all. Right. Even if that yeah, something yeah. might be, <laughs> might yeah, be negative. It keeps me from clicking off the stream to something else. Yeah. That's a good point. And speaking of narratives and things that flow into, you know, we're watching all these streams and all of that stuff. Uh, what do you think are the the key elements of uh, a dramatic and accurate poker scene? By the way, that's a question from Rene Coronado, who has amazing questions for us every week. So, what would you say are some key elements? Um, I think that a lot of it has to do with uh, being able to uh, inform the viewer enough, give enough backstory, give enough um, context. So the viewer can experience the suspense properly and appreciate um, that aspect of the hand. Um, and w- what's interesting is I think that it doesn't necessarily, I'm not as uh, kind of, I mean, you know how, how it is with poker players. When poker players watch a poker scene in a movie, yeah. um, we get very uh, critical about yeah minute details right which often get messed up in these scenes even in really good poker movies you know there'll be a great poker hand and everything and there'll be that one little thing where you know he said re-raise instead of raise or something and they're like i don't know you know this is uh, i i actually am not that bothered by that um by those kind of sort of surface level uh, issues but i i think that also a, a great poker hand can be shown in a film without without those details or without like all the meticulous, you know, every single aspect of the hand, the betting amounts and, you know, everything like we were reading a hand history or something um, that uh, uh, in the hands of a good director is just like any any other kind of scene where they're able to sort of give you a sense of the place and the characters and how they relate to one another. And then we can appreciate sort of how this is happening in the hand um, and, and the suspense. The, I, I feel like poker poker hands have kind of an inherent suspense to them. And this dynamic, you know, with the hero and the villain as we, the terms that we use when we talk about poker hands, right? right. Um, and that, that has a lot to do with um, the success of the, of the scenes. Um, and then I appreciate, you know, how they relate to the film as a whole. You know, I, I feel right. like, you know, I, I in my book, I was writing about lots of movies that weren't really poker movies, but mo- movies that had a poker scene in them. Mm. Um, and I can and in some cases, the poker scene really neatly reflects like larger themes of the film mm. um, and becomes like a little microcosm of the larger story or, or has some connection to other things in the world of the film 
and that makes the scene good too you know sometimes it's just stuck in there you know because it's a it's a western and you're supposed to have a poker scene and you know, right nothing... <laughs> it, it feels but, uh... out of place and, and, and it's, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because we had a ton of questions about that i mean people wanted to know what is like the best poker scene in film right you know and what is your favorite poker feel more favorite scene so what, what, what do we have here like, let, let me let me try to you know collect all of these questions into one let's start with which poker scene do you think was done really well to sell, serve the story of an underlying film? Like, do you have any specific examples in mind where a, a poker scene was helpful to the story? I mean, I can think of several that are, I would say, are really good and really mm -hmm. do that. Um, yeah. But the one, the one that jumps to mind is the opening scene of California Split. Mm. Um, I don't, have you seen? I have, uh, yes. And so the film's from 1974. Yeah, it's an um, older one. Yeah. I have kind of a soft spot for it too because I've very uh, fortunately gotten to know the fella Joseph Walsh who wrote this film um, and have developed a friendship with him and talked to him many times. Um, uh, and he he wrote this movie. He, he himself was uh, and is a gambler. Um, and knows a lot about gambling and, and and poker. And this opening scene in California Split, the movie is about these two guys who actually um, kind of by chance meet each other in this opening scene at a California poker club circa 1970s, right. which is an incredible, it, one of the incredible aspects of the scene is it's a, it's a set. They built this club that looks like one of those old Gardena poker clubs right. um, from the time. And Joseph Walsh told me that he, he's talked to people who said, yeah, I played there. I played at that club. And he's like, no, you didn't. Because, <laughs> because it's, 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 it's a, you know, we made that. It was, it was our, <laughs> the, the filmmakers, production designers, but it's called the California Club. And they get together and they play as the game was played then. Um, and they play they're not playing uh, five card draw or five card stud, <laughs> but they're playing low ball, right? Um, like Raz kind of, and um, the players deal. And this is how the game was played in these clubs. Um, and you get this incredible atmosphere and, you know, the, you know, the, they're calling out the, you know, seats open and all this stuff. And they, these guys get together and, the two characters, Bill and Charlie, are the main characters. They get together in this in this scene and they play a hand. And uh, you, you got just in the space of just ten minutes or so, you have uh, you, you have all these characters kind of emerge around the table. Meanwhile, the film is directed by Robert Altman, who does who. If you've seen any other Robert Altman films, he does lots of sort of interesting things with audio and and uh, lots of things going on at once. And so all through this scene. It begins with Elliot Gould's character watching a instructional video explaining how to play poker. And that sort of plays through the scene. It comes and goes, but it's playing as they're playing this hand, or, or these, they play a couple of hands. But the, the big hand uh, results in a huge dispute and, and a physical fight um, over 
you know, what happens in the hand. Um, and meanwhile, the voiceover is talking about the importance of etiquette and, right. and being being nice to your fellow players. <laughs> but anyway, it's just such a satisfying scene. And it's also one of those scenes that really um, resonates, I think, with with players. And it's a good example of what I was talking about earlier, where you don't you don't even have to know how to play this game mm. to appreciate what's happening and, and how the hand, you know, the the how the hand develops and what happens and what the dispute is and all of these things. And that's one of the things that Joseph Walsh, I think, was most proud of. He he told me about more than once about how the the produce, you know, the producers, people, studio people, they wanted it to be, you know, four kings beat four queens. And, right. <laughs> the classic, you know. yeah. Straight flush like <laughs> and he was like, no, no, no. Get get people who play poker, gamblers, they they'll know what's going on you know they'll appreciate the realism of this because this is really more like it so anyway that that's the scene that i would highlight as my favorite this is this is such a such a beautiful analysis of uh of of, of that of that scene and you know and 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 it reminds me uh of an idea that my actually my sister inadvertently taught me that um not all people see the same thing when they look at the same object right and i mean here you are basically going really deep into um a a movie that some people would just consider oh i just an old movie from the past but like you go into the details and it's like i mean uh, you know I, I feel like i'm reliving like watching the movie again i was like oh yeah <laughs> he's right about this you know like all of the the, 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 the instructor of the, the the video and all of all of the, the voiceover and all of that stuff is like yeah I mean the sort of um, connect to one another to create a really nice narrative that helps you I I immerse yourself I mean you know I, I like that stuff I like I like poker poker scenes in general um, anything else uh, uh, more in the in the modern era that comes to mind that um, you thought that uh, the directors um, did well probably the the most recent film that I, I that really stood out for me was Mississippi Grind mm -hmm. which is uh actually probably pretty directly influenced by California Split in a way because it's kind of a similar I think it came out about 2017 or so um and it features kind of a similar situation where a couple of guys happen to meet right um and then at, at a poker game and then they end up sort of hanging out together and traveling together and, and in the movie they do this sort of interesting they end up at casinos sort of going down the mississippi kind of like an old uh old west story or something um but the poker scenes are are so good um in the in that film and then the hands you know they just the, the, the kinds of hands again they avoid they generally avoid the kings versus aces you know the right the obvious kinds of hands the but coolers, right they're they're very well presented and uh, i can't think of any sort of uh of those examples of little little mistakes that we see uh, in those hands but it fits neatly with the you know it's this kind of uh quixotic you know the adventure where these these two guys are sort of hanging out together and going where it leads and and uh like a you know like a poker game like a poker session can can go sometimes okay. but that 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 one stands out to me. That's the so we have uh, California Split and uh, 
Mississippi Grind, right? So the 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 two yeah, the, two, yeah. the two examples. Excellent. Uh, how about? Uh, I mean, you know, poker players, right? I mean, we're fascinated by degenerate stuff all the time. Even I mean, we call ourselves, you know, degenerates all the time. So do you do you happen to have like a favorite? This this is by the way a question by Moose. Uh, you have a favorite degen film that uh, you know you think it's it's been done like properly, like oh, yeah. Um, well, I, you know the one that comes to mind is not so much a poker film. Um, I'm thinking of the ga- the the. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of a, a a good example of a poker film where where you have that kind of thing. Um. And I can't really. I'm thinking of the gambler from again. I'm kind of a sucker for the '70s. And, yeah, and no, that's and, great. And that's so, great. Yeah, yeah. So with with James Caan and mm-hmm. who goes on this horrible uh, run of, uh, of degeneracy yeah. uh, in that film, and it's really like California Split. It's kind of um, it, it is uh, it doesn't romanticize gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The way that so many films and good and I'm talking about good films too, mm-hmm. uh, good poker films and good films with poker will romanticize the game and make it seem you know like this great sort of you know uh, adventurous you know and and harmless thing to do, <laughs> but but we know better and uh, the gambler is, is is it's not necessarily a pleasant film to watch, but it it really sort of uh, um, shows that aspect of of um uh you know the 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 negative side of of gambling and that that comes to mind I, i'd have to think a little bit more to think of a, of a good example of a poker film you know where uh not a problem not a problem and and you know what martin i mean in in general like while you're, you're talking what i'm thinking is that uh, i i don't think there is it's very difficult for the degen aspect of it to not show up in in, in, a, in a poker movie. Like, I mean, most of the poker movies that come to mind, I mean, at least there is either in even like, like, you know, the class, the most classic movie that all poker players know, like rounders, right? There are degen elements in there. Like there are scenes, you know, like, you know, people, you know, going into um, hitting rock bottom and, and, and things like that. There, there, there's, there's everywhere, but um uh, but yeah, if if something you know comes to mind just uh, randomly, just uh, l- let us know. Um, now, Moose also wants to know, and that, I think that's that's a really good question too. Uh, he, he he's asking, do you think there there will be mass appeal in doing a poker TV series in the same insider's vein as Entourage or or Bowlers? I don't know if you're familiar with those TV shows from like a- HBO. Yeah. Uh, um what kind of story uh is required for that show to succeed if you think that would be something that would have mass appeal and uh, and for the listener i believe there was something called um it, it, it was a production that was done by individuals from uh, from Deuces Cracked, i believe it was a while a while ago i think it was called 2 months 2 million or something or mm-hmm. oh yeah. you're familiar with this too right yeah, so yeah. That that comes to mind. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So that I guess that was. I'm trying to, you know, 
that maybe is sort of we're in the realm of like reality TV mm -hmm. and that kind of storytelling, mm -hmm. um, which maybe you know I you know I'm a little cynical about it in terms of uh, you know it's just anticipating a, a wide audience being interested mm -hmm. um, in say a reality TV show about poker players like 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 that one or, or another one um, but but it could be I mean it could be done in a way and it could involve personalities and and stories and situations that that are interesting um, to non to a mainstream audience to not just the, the hardcore uh, poker audience um, I think that for, I think I, you know in truth for a, for a poker TV show to to do that it probably couldn't be a, like a reality show it, it would have mm. to be like a you know a, a scripted show um and i guess uh it would have to you know balance this uh you know the the it would have to balance the poker with everything else mm -hmm. um in a way that you know sort of made poker still important and central um but that didn't necessarily um overwhelm the story and shut out the non-poker part of the audience or the or the audience that isn't already interested in, in poker um i think of sort of sitting down and watching like poker on tv um with my wife who's not really a poker player um but who can get interested you know depending on sort of how it's presented and so forth and i sort of would use her to judge sort of how why how is this working you know how is this appealing to a a, a wider audience um and so i don't know i mean i i i think it i think it becomes kind of dangerous um to get too immersed in the in the specifics of of the poker um and and risk losing the larger audience i just i just feel like it's it's like a, a huge challenge you know to keep mm -hmm. everyone else in in involved uh, if you're going to keep delving into like another hand and yet another hand and and uh, or even other kind of sort of, uh, you know, arcane things that have to, you know, that are associated with the game. How about side elements? Like, uh, how about a show that I mean, of course, I mean, it showed a little bit of poker, but at the same time, it showed how people struggle with the ups and downs with the mm -hmm. uh, with because I mean, poker is such a an incredibly weird profession for from all <laughs> standards right so and and it, it's such an, an incredible source of extreme emotions both both both, both positive and, and negative and what if it and again i mean i'm a speedballing obviously i know nothing about producing or directing or anything like that but i was wondering like do you think that could be something that people might be interested in you know i mean there would be like 10 percent of poker and then the remaining 90% was like all the surrounding ones, the ups and downs of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that could, that could be done. In fact, as you were just saying that it made me think of this novel that, um, this fellow Peter Olson wrote recently. Um, Peter Olson, who wrote several poker books, he wrote the, uh, he co-wrote the biography of Stu Unger. He oh. wrote, um, take me to the river. And he wrote some books, poker, poker titles that came out during the boom. More recently, just a couple of years ago, he wrote this a poker novel 
called The Only Way to Play It, which I recommend to everybody. Okay. Peter Peter Olson, The Only Way to Play It, yeah. um, which I thought was fantastic. And as you're describing it, it it basically it tells the story of a of a of a person who's a poker player and trying to live live on poker um and is playing in underground games and is playing online and doing all these things um it's kind of set a few years back um and he goes through these you know incredible kind of swings and and there's some really great moments uh in the story that i think would appeal to people beyond beyond poker there's one great scene that comes to mind where uh he gets involved he gets he gets in some sort of i can't remember all the specifics but he's in a he's in a underground game and he's playing with this really rich whale kind of character who is uh he's ready to bet some exorbitant amount of money on a hand uh he's inviting our hero mm -hmm. to go in, in a hand where he doesn't look at his cards and, and basically just you know do you want to do you want to do this you know do you want to gamble right. fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or some some crazy amount right for him and he's and, and Peter does such a good job of describing what he's going through. He's like, oh, do I do, you know, can I do this? Um, you know, uh, and, and it's, and it becomes this really difficult situation. And anyway, I think it's the kind of, that sort of thing, like these, this, the psychological tests that we talk about poker putting us through. I think um, those can transcend the game and, and be interesting to non players if presented correctly you know if you you know this the person writing the screenplay can can put it together correctly and then the director and everybody else can can produce it uh in the right way that'll be that'll be very interesting and uh and and and, and speaking of stories like uh how about uh, your stories Rene has another question you know what is your your best gambling stories and just to to reframe it a little bit um uh, you know, as someone who has so much experience with uh, the the way uh, things are presented in uh, uh, in the movies and in the literature, you know, how would you present it to us? You know, like some of the best gambling stories you have experienced, or so some Martin Harris stories. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a you know, first of all, I'm not a huge gambler. Like I, I I'm pretty sure. risk averse. I always, I mean, I've played for a long time, but always at these, you know, very manageable stakes. I almost never have tested myself, you know, to the point where it's painful. Um, I mean, I have my, you know, the, these pot, you know, the biggest pot I ever won, the biggest pot I ever lost, sure. which would pale in comparison to the, you, you know, know the stories that most have. Um, but you know for me like when i think of like i mean i haven't i haven't really thought of no, nobody's really asked me this question um and I, I i so i haven't prepared this answer but when i when you ask me what's my favorite poker story okay. i think of um you know i i got a chance to do a lot of reporting on poker tournaments and so mm -hmm. i did i got to travel and go to all these places right. that i would have never gone otherwise probably um all over europe and south america and to Macau and you know got to go to Morocco one time you know all these kinds of uh wild trips and and one place that I got to go was Ukraine mm. uh to Kiev to Kiev mm -hmm. um to cover a poker tournament um 
And it was kind of a one-shot deal. It was like the only time it was the European Poker Tour that they they actually managed to to have a tournament uh, there in Ukraine. Um, when was I, that? This was two thousand nine, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there were a lot of sort of interesting aspects of that story, um, and, and going there, and it was just you know fascinating. And I, I've been obviously thinking a lot about that trip, you know, over recent you know the last year. Of course, uh, thinking back um, and how wonderful it was and, you know, the people and everything. Uh, but I as part of the, the covering the tournament, we played we had a media tournament. We had a, you know, one of these sort of free tournaments where, you know, we get to play. We get a chance sure. to play after watching everybody else play. We get to play. And they set it up in a really strange way, I think, incorrectly, where the structure was much longer than it was than it was supposed to be like maybe they used the structure from the regular tournament rather than a faster one right and so we started early evening but we we ended up it ended up going really late mm-hmm. and i you know i got lucky and i made it all the way to the end of this thing and it was like and so all my friends and everybody who who were there who got knocked out and then stuck around to like cheer me on. They eventually got tired and left. (laughs) And, and it was like two or three in the morning, four in the morning. I mean, it was crazy. We we were playing for hours and hours and we got down to the the very end and it was, uh, and I got lucky, you know, you know how it goes. I got lucky. There was, there was one hand where I had two Queens against ace queen and a, and an ace flopped. And so I was doomed, but then the case queen came out, you know, that kind of stuff. Right, right. And so there I am. I'm 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 one of the final three. <laughs> and it's it's me and it's two Russian guys. There were obviously a lot of a lot of Russian of uh, people around. And and everyone else who remained were friends of them. Right. <laughs> And so I was. And like, your rail has left in the meantime, right? So you have nobody. I'm all alone. <laughs> and so I'm in the middle of, you know, here I am in Ukraine and I'm oh, playing no. poker with, with uh, these Russians who, who are, they're all talking Russian. <laughs> and in fact, the, the, and I know they're talking about me and what a donkey I am. <laughs> but, you know, what can I do? And I remember what, at one point the, uh, uh, the dealer was like, I guess, you know, there's still like the English only rule <laughs> and asked me if I was going to insist upon the English only rule. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. You're cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, somehow I, I managed to win, win the tournament. And so it was, uh, it was a great disappointment to everyone who was there. Um, and, but for me, it was this great memory and I got to, you know, tell my friends the next day, yeah, I won, I won the tournament. But it was, um, it was quite an experience to to sort of be involved with something like that. And, you know, you don't, you don't win many poker tournaments. So that stands out just for, the, for that fact. But um, so I joke that I'm uh, undefeated in in Ukraine, <laughs> which is which is true, the, <laughs> and despite one and the, know, right? Yeah. And despite the language barrier, you, you persevered and, uh, that's that must have been that must have been pretty pretty interesting. So, uh, but I, I gotta ask you, how, how did you know they were uh, you know they, they were talking about you? Like uh... <laughs> I, you know, I was doing things, and and you know we 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 learned we learned things. We realized you know 
that, going back to what I was talking about before, how hard it is to tell sometimes how good you are, the skill levels that you have. I mean, I've been playing a few years, but I, I, I know I was doing things wrong, mm-hmm. um, or I was doing things that I wouldn't do today in mm-hmm. the way I was playing hands, and maybe folding in situations where I, you know, it was an obvious call and I and see. that that kind of thing. And so I know I had done a couple of things like that, but where the other guys were like, oh, you know. You, yeah how could you fold that hand or, or whatever you know um icm was not something that i was aware of at the time <laughs> in that, I mean, 2009 that's, that's 2009 i mean i don't think many people knew that uh, i don't even know if they if, if somebody came up with that term i i, I don't remember historically uh, the, the concept was, was yeah. around I yeah mean, the concept and i, and I was yeah. i understood sort of you know yeah. that kind of thing but anyway that's that, that, that's that's incredible yeah no th- this is a beautiful story you know like it has everything you know it has the, the travel <laughs> to the other country it has you know the the difficult circumstances the, the hero loses his entire support on the, the rail yeah, yeah. you know it has, yeah. it has everything it's beautiful and then he's trying to persevere when it's down to three and nobody's around to help him i mean that's i love it well, really and then good. there's the it satisfies the storyteller's vanity as well because he gets uh, to talk about the winning, <laughs> which is the uh, you know the thing that poker, you know when when we talk about stories that poker produces and and they're notoriously unreliable narrators of these stories who always remember the good things and or the things that make them look good, <laughs> it, it, and and forget about the mistakes they made and the you know, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I, I would, I would probably be a miss. I mean, I think we've, we've covered most of the the, the questions that people, people were asking, uh, but um, I would be a miss if I didn't talk a little bit about your, your, your newer projects, because it's, it's really, really exciting, right? I mean, um, you're working on, on a new book, right? That tries to, um analyze and understand i believe it was what 17 horror films is is that correct something like that like uh yeah yeah i have it's like a collection of essays about individual films and so there are 17 chapters okay on the proposal and that i'm i've given myself uh the task of of writing i may drop one or two before i have a deadline at the end of the year so i'm eyeing that um, it's still there's, far off, but it's going to get here. It's, it's good, yeah, but there's some like pretty interesting uh, names. I mentioned a few in the introduction, but there's there's others that you mentioned, like you know, uh, the invasion of the body snatchers, you know, Night of the Living Dead, the the, the Step for Wives, Alien, They Leave, you know, Starship Troopers, The Mist, Get Out. Like these are, you know, some of them are are classic, some of them are newer. Uh, so w- what made you? you know explore that uh that territory and what are some things that you learned Uh, that sounds incredibly interesting to me like you know exploring horror and um what are some aspects that uh that you've learned that people might be interested to hear about well i i'll i'll sort of quickly explain sort of how the whole idea uh, came together it started with me i was so i teach in the american studies program at unc charlotte Right. And I have this, I teach this poker class and a Richard Nixon class. Right. 
And then I had this idea to develop, uh, I, I've taught film classes there before. I've taught like intro to film and European mm -hmm. cinema and, and some things like that. But I had this idea to, I've done scholarship on horror film and um, I've already sort of got an interest in that. And I just wrote this Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm -hmm. book. Um, and so I was, I, I've been thinking a lot about horror and politics and, you know, horror films that have political messages. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, and, and I got into this idea of creating a course, a film course, uh, which was last, I guess, going back a couple of years, I started developing this course um, that would involve uh, all the films would be horror and science fiction. So mm -hmm. there'd be, you know, it would always be sort of a combo film, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right, or, right. You know, that where it's, you know, the science fiction story, but it's horror as well. Right. Um, and I, I think what probably inspired it, what really sort of triggered me was uh, seeing the movie Us, um, the follow-up to Get Out, Jordan oh, the, oh, Peele's. I have actually, I haven't watched that one. Oh, okay. And it's really, it's, it's fascinating. Um, and it draws on, and so it, a movie like Us, and I think Get Out also, um, mm -hmm is influenced by uh, Jordan Peele is a fan of earlier horror mm. sci-fi stuff. And, you know, he, like he, he ended up doing some Twilight Zone. You oh, know, so he, know he's that. kind of, he's in that, uh, he, that's kind of thing is uh, influencing his, his films. Um, but uh, the movie Us, and it got me thinking about uh, these films that feature these horror sci-fi films that feature groups in conflict with one another mm. and in us that sort of is, is what's going on and and an invasion of the body snatchers that's what's going on and, and these other films and so i i went back to this great 1954 uh horror sci-fi film called them um, that i haven't watched which features huge killer ants <laughs> that have become mutated by exposure to nuclear testing in the desert right <laughs> and of course so these big 15 foot ants are are terrorizing um america and so i i said oh this would be cool I'll, I'll make a call it us versus them and we'll start with the movie them and we'll end with the movie us mm. from 2019 and I'll find films, you know, along the way that are also uh, horror sci-fi films that feature groups in conflict in different ways. Um, and so I ended up doing that. I ended up creating a course and all these lectures and, you know, sort of getting it all together. And I taught it for the first time last spring, so a year ago. Um, and as I taught it, I thought, uh, you know, I had this idea, maybe I could do a book out of this. Maybe I could, you know, create a, a kind of a proposal. And so I did that on the side. Um, and the course went pretty well. And then I put together this proposal and went back and forth a bunch of times with a, with a publisher and, and, and they accepted it. And so now I'm writing a book, um, which is not going to be called Us Versus Them, the, the course is called Us Versus Them, uh, Politics and Conflict in American Horror and Science Fiction Film. And the title of the book is not going to say Us Versus Them, but that's the theme of the book. Mm -hmm. um, that's the 
the the idea that sort of ties all the different um analyses of these different films together that they all um use what they do is they create a, a wild outrageous you know fantastic like with ant killer ants or with right. the, the robots the stepford wives you know or or, or robot women <laughs> you know uh, or you know these kind of outlandish scenarios to put groups to create a story that involved groups pitted against one another kind of an us versus them scenario tension yeah mm -hmm. um in order to comment on american society you know make political statements uh using allegory and satire and mm. you know all these things that that you can do when you tell a story like that um and so that's that's the idea do you think that that that's intentional from the creators of these movies, like all of these metaphorical, or do you think they're uh, they're they're coincidental? I it's interesting because it's, and and one of the things I'm doing as I get you know deeper into you know I, like I created my lectures and so I learned a lot and kind of mm -hmm. right uh, about the making of these films. But now that I'm writing about them, I'm right. I'm having to study them even even further. And in some cases, you have you know, filmmakers, screenwriters, directors saying, no, I intended no political messages whatsoever, or or wanting to kind of right. shape the response in a certain way to, to steer it away from being too specific. And in fact, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956 is a great example of this, a, a film that really pretty much immediately was read as being it was read in a couple of ways it was mm -hmm. read as either a film about communists infiltrating mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. america right. or a film about the mccarthyists the mm -hmm. the joe mccarthy and his followers who all were um overly zealous about finding and rooting out communists and that the you know the the body snatchers the 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 bad guys in this movie are um either represent one of the two um both of those are pretty political readings they're actually kind of antithetical readings right um but the the fellow who wrote the original novel and then the director don siegel and and others they they said no we really didn't intend did. we we we, were, we did intend a commentary on uh, conformity, like a more general uh, warning about losing your individuality right. uh, in in the service of you know what the group tells you to do. Right. Um, but we didn't really intend the political. So I'm I'm having to kind of negotiate that and and maybe make disclaimers sometimes as I produce my own readings. Um, um, but I think actually a lot and the ones that I've chosen, I think they are pretty politically. Sort of conscious, mm -hmm. um, and you know some of them are. It's pretty obvious, like they live or Starship Troopers or <laughs> right. you know, Get Out. You know the 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 people who made these movies were they they were thinking of these things. You know they weren't yeah. like just kind of telling interesting stories uh, for their own sake. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's it's very characteristic of the artist to feel about the situations surrounding them. And not necessarily putting those thoughts to consciousness, if that makes sense, right? You know, they're they're sort of like you know, getting it's like this is how that thing makes me feel, 
whether or not is it has been influenced by the political situation is irrelevant because that's exactly how it, it, it made me feel. And um, and the reason why I ask you that question is because there's a, a film by uh, Miyazaki from Studio Ghibli. The, um, uh, it's uh, the, uh, the Grave of the Fireflies, uh, 1989, I believe it was. And uh, you're probably familiar with like the Japanese Studio uh, Ghibli, right? I mean, we're making all of these um animations mm -hmm. right and, mm -hmm. and and the 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 story in the movie is about brother and sister um in in the midst of the of the war and as you can imagine people were like oh this is definitely an anti-war message right i mean you wrote that movie because you're trying to be anti-war and he said no i'm just i wrote a movie about a brother and a sister and how yeah. in the middle of the war they uh, you know, they, they were facing adversity and how they were trying to um, uh, sur survive. And, and and it's interesting that, you know, like his way of, of expressing what was going on in the movie is perhaps subconsciously he hated war, you know, in, in some sense. It, it, it might not have been his political message, you know, that the war shouldn't have been made. But, you know, all of these negative effects that, you know, affect our heroes in 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 such a a bad way, it was something that um, it was sending a very clear message. And whether it was subconscious or conscious, it's almost irrelevant, you know. Perhaps I don't know that. But yeah, yeah I think yeah. I think that happens. And and of the films that I'm writing about, that the one that probably is the best example of that, what you're describing, is is Night of the Living Dead, mm, which was filmed at the end of 1967, and it came out in 1968. Um, and which kind of brings it brought together a lot of uh, you know the tensions. 1968 being this kind of incredible right. year in American right. history, um, and and really reflected a lot of those things. Um, the filmmakers and and George Romero would talk about this about how he was he was obviously conscious of, of these things, but they were also a low budget, you know they didn't have a lot of money it was just sort of a group of people who were just kind of making a movie and they this was kind of a a neat story and a neat way to do it and they were incredibly uh you know creative and used a lot of ingenuity with their tiny budget to sort of produce this this great uh affecting movie um and weren't necessarily thinking of these larger themes and subtexts right. quite so specifically um, but recognized by the time the movie came out at the end of 1968, recognized that, you know, of course, these things are going to be um, part of how the movie is received. Like as one big part of that is casting a, a African-American man in the in the lead role. Right. Um, surrounded by a cast of, of white characters, um, right. which produced, you know, this you know, it ends up sort of, you know, something that is never really addressed explicitly in the film. Um, but which is unavoidable to any audience watching the film is, is understanding sort of racial tensions and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, they and they live at a time where these things happen on a day-to-day -day basis. They're influenced by it, right? Whether or not they're trying to make a statement is, is is secondary. Like they are exposed, you know, to the civil rights movement and everything that happens in the sixties, right. right? So this is right. this is going to play an, an important role. Oh man, that's that, that 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 that's fantastic. So, if if people want to know more about about that stuff, uh, Martin, if they, I mean, we already talked about some of the of the books that you've written, but 
what are some places they can find you? You know, um, uh, like whether it's social media or you know the your books on Amazon. And what is you know uh, some some good places for people to go and find more of your work in general? Probably the best way to find my books would be to go to the Amazon. I, I have an author page on there right. where you can find all the books and, and find link out it more also. about them. Yeah. Um, I used to, and part of this uh, experience as a as a poker guy and uh, a poker writer, I had a blog called mm -hmm. Hardboiled Poker um, that I was very dedicated to for many years and uh, no longer really write so much on, but it's still there. It's if you just look up Hardboiled Poker on on Google, you'll you'll get to it. Okay, um, we'll we'll include that as well. So in the in, and, in the description. And thanks to that, that's my Twitter handle as well. It's hard boiled poker. So like hard boiled egg, but uh hard boiled poker hard -boiled one poker. word is my Twitter handle. And I'm not tweeting a lot uh, these days either. Uh but uh that's where I am. So great, great. Well, I mean it's been it's been a fascinating uh discussion and uh, you know, I I learned a lot about this uh very interesting world of uh of horror films and you know it's uh uh, my, my my wife and I, we, we even though we're not necessarily big uh, big fans of the of the genre, we at least once a year we we it's uh, we absolutely have to do that. Like on on Halloween, it's 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 very important that we. <laughs> You, you you know what I'm talking about, and I, I can never explain that to myself. Even though you know we don't we don't like to be scared in those horror movies, we have this almost like a ritual that we have to do it. It's it's very important, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you do you, do you feel that the same way? Do you have like some sort of like a ritual when it comes to 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 horror movies and things like that? I, I you know being sort of especially writing the book, and I'm you know so I'm watching these films that I'm writing about, but I'm also watching lots of other films as context uh and you know it, when you watch them as an academic you're kind of taking notes and you're right. sort of you know it's that's there's that way of, of right. watching them but i try also to um not do that you know put the put the pencil down and and just uh immerse myself and i, I i've been doing that with more recent horror films which i'm not writing about in the book mm -hmm. but just to kind of be aware of sort of what's happening and 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 you know for me like i said one of the things that makes them most fun for me is not so much getting scared but or being made uncomfortable <laughs> which these movies do but the to look at how they're put together and mm. and you know the, the the strategies that the filmmakers employ mm. um to produce the responses in the audience um the emotional the visceral response um that's the kind of thing that helps me as I analyze their the earlier movies, you know, just sort of see how how that can be done. So the engineering, also, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and then but then also, um, you know, the political commentary is interesting too. To me, that sort of is what always mm. makes a horror film. It sort of elevates it a little bit and makes it, you know, so, some of them are smarter than others, and and when they try to do that, um, but there's a lot of them that are are pretty. You know, there, there's a lot of pretty deliberate attempts, I think, lately uh, with horror films to make some kind of talk about what's happening in society and, and, and in, in the world uh, more directly and not just put us on a roller coaster. Of course, of course. So so to close, 
uh, what would be a movie you recommend people go and watch? Just let's throw one of them, like one horror movie that people may may enjoy. Uh, keep, keep in mind that you know we have a you know we're talking about the poker players. I mean you know they they vary, and uh, I don't know if many people will be you will have access to movies from the 1950s. I mean they 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 can, but you know we have a wide audience is what I'm trying to say. Um, I, okay, I'll, I'll I'll recommend the movie that I'm writing about right now. Okay, uh, the chapter that I'm working on right now, and I, I feel like I can recommend it because it's one of these movies that kind of fell through the cracks. Okay, when it came out, and when I mention it to people, they they're always telling me they they haven't heard of it or they haven't seen it. Um, but it's from 1987. 87. Um, mm -hmm. So not you you can find this everywhere. Okay, uh, and the movie's called The Hidden. The Hidden. Um, you, you haven't seen it. I have not. Yeah. Okay. And, that's going to be a recommendation for me too. You know, I'm excited now. I'm going to, I'm going to tell my wife, you know, I, I can't wait. They're hidden. Okay. And, and I, you may not, you, I don't know if you're going to like it. I don't know if your wife's going to like it, but, sure. um, it's a, it's a movie that came out towards the end of 1987 and it stars, uh, Kyle McLaughlin, who would, would subsequently go on to Twin Peaks. He had mm -hmm. just been in Blue Velvet before this mm -hmm, movie came out. Mm -hmm. um, and he's great in this. And and Michael Nury, they play, it's essentially, on the surface, it's like a buddy cop action movie. Mm -hmm. And it starts with a tremendous car chase. Um, and these two uh, characters, they get thrown together. One is a LA detective, and the other uh, is a FBI agent coming down from Seattle. And they're sort of forced to work together um, in the pursuit of this criminal that's on this crime spree. Um, but then what happens is things sort of, uh, it, it, the, the movie continues in that vein. So it's sort of an action buddy cop movie. This is the same year that Lethal Weapon came out. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're sort of, you sort of feel like you're watching Lethal Weapon at the beginning of the movie. But then it turns out that there's aliens involved, um, <laughs> and there's uh, I don't I don't even think I need to say anymore because it's it it, it it becomes there's sort of this comes out very cleverly in the story, right? Um, and you get really involved. It's super fast paced, um, and it ends up. It essentially becomes, uh, you know, what I'm writing about. I'm the academic, so I got to write about yeah. how it's sure. uh, commenting on American society and and uh, excess greed, uh, sure. capitalism gone crazy, right? Um, and uh, but it also, in a more general way, kind of it, it presents sort of ideas about what it make what it means to be a good person and what it means to be a bad person, yeah. and it sort of uses the aliens to to comment on that got it got uh, in it. this curious way but uh it's okay. kind of a it you, you may enjoy it i don't know if your wife's gonna enjoy it because it's kind of one of those it's sort of a guy movie i see you know i see yeah intense things and, yeah yeah you know <laughs> gunplay and all this kind of but um i think it's great and so but, i'm gonna recommend that one <laughs> I love it. I think this is an excellent closing note. So, so you heard it, folks. The name of the movie is The Hidden. Uh, it turns out aliens are involved. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's a great way to not spoil anything. But. So, well, Martin Harris has been with us, Philosophical Friday. Martin, thank you so very much for being with us today and sharing your wisdom. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. A lot of fun. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next Friday. Take care now. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.